Well, good morning. Nehemiah chapter 8 is our text today. If you um, have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to this text. If you don't, then you can look on the screen in a moment and uh, we'll have printed out verses 13 through 18. For those of you that may be new to Great Hills or this may be your first time, we are currently in a study in the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. We've been going verse by verse until last week, we just went back over a passage of Scripture that we had studied the previous week. But today, we're going to pick up in chapter 8, verse 13, and read the rest of the account of the chapter. So let me just kind of bring you up to speed. It may be a while since you have studied Nehemiah, or you may be thinking, Nehemiah, who, what, what is this? What is going on in this church? I'm reminded of an analogy that a friend of mine gave me a number of years ago. He said, you know, if you are hosting guests at your home, let's say you've invited some friends of yours over to your house, and maybe it's the first time you've ever invited this particular family or couple or single adult, whoever it is, and they come to your home, and you and your family look at them, and they, they're sitting over there, and then you and the family just talk the whole meal. And your guest, the people that you invited to the meal, they're just kind of sitting over there, but you never talk to them. How do you think that would make them feel? You know, and I appreciate that analogy because that happens every single Sunday morning. Uh, we're a family. We've been here. Some of you have been here 100 years. Some of you have been here brand new, seven years like me. And it's so easy to forget the folks that are sitting down at the end of the table. So let me just say this. If that's you and you're sitting at that table and you're a guest, God bless you. In fact, church family, let's just welcome them, whoever they are and wherever they are today. God, God bless y'all. Amen. So Nehemiah occurs in the 6th century B.C. And so let me just give you a little data, a little factual information to kind of warm you up and rev your spiritual engine up as we jump into the sacred text. As you know, 609 B.C., that was a pivotal day for the life of God's people, the Jews. In Jerusalem, historical fact, um, the Babylonians came in and decimated Israel. The prophets have been warning for this for years and years, really decade upon decade. Ill Israel, return to your God, because if you don't, he doesn't want to, but he will judge you if you do not turn back to your God and quit playing the spiritual harlotry and prostitution and turn back to God. And God, and over and over, patiently and patiently saying, please come back to me. I created you. I, I've redeemed you. You're my people. But yet they persisted in their obstinance, very recalcitrant, disobedient souls. And so finally the hammer of God fell in 609, was the first of three what you call deportations. The nation of Israel was deported out of Jerusalem, if you will, and they were transported hundreds and hundreds of miles away in the Babylonian empire, what, what is today, modern day uh, Babylon or, or Iraq. And so 609, and then there were two more waves or, or deportations, and that began 609 till about 538, is known as the 70 years of Babylonian captivity. Have you ever heard of that? Yes, you've heard of that. Seventy years of captivity that the people of God were in a foreign land. And yet, in 537, there's a new king on the block. His name is Cyrus. The Medes and the Persians have taken over the Babylonians. This is all historical, factual data in antiquity. You can study it. 
and hopefully you do study it in, in high school and college. And, and what happened is Cyrus, the king of the Medes and the Persians, he turned to the Jewish people and said, what are y'all still doing here? <laughs> y'all can go back home. And they're like, are you serious? And he says, yes, go on back home. And so just as there were three waves of deportation, there were three waves of return. The first one began with a man by the name of Zerubbabel. Now everybody, I want you to pronounce that name and I want you to spell it real quick. Go ahead, I'm just kidding. Zerubbabel. Who's gonna name their son Zerubbabel? Anyhow, Zerubbabel goes back in 537 and he takes, a, he takes a group with him. And what they find is just total devastation. Uh, the temple's destroyed, the wall is shattered, the people that were left are in disarray. And Zerubbabel goes back in 537. Then Ezra goes back. Ezra, there's a whole book in the Bible, one of the 66 books of canonical scripture. There's a whole name for Ezra. It's right next to our book, Nehemiah. Ezra in 457, he takes another group back and his purpose as a pastor, as a preacher, as a priest, he wants to go back and help the congregation rebuild the temple, but also worship God again in the temple there in Jerusalem. And then there was a third wave, and that was Nehemiah. And Nehemiah in 445, 444 B.C., he goes back, but for this purpose. He goes back and he takes a whole bunch of people with him to rebuild the wall, the protective wall, around the perimeter of the city of Jerusalem, and he does that. He does a fabulous job of that. And so when he finishes rebuilding the wall, I'm telling you, the people of God just have a hearty party. I mean, they are just praising the Lord. The, the people of God are back in the city of God. The temple of God is built. The wall around the temple, is, uh, around the city has been completed. And man, there's just big celebration. And so they gather all the people. And, and some estimations I've read, somewhere between 30 and 50,000 people participated in this big worship service. In Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 12, we've talked about that for two weeks. What happened? What happened? Ezra, the priest, got up and he read the Bible for six solid hours. There was a focus on the Word of God. Secondly, there was this dynamic worship. The people were, man, they must not have been many Baptists in there because they were hollering hallelujah, raising their hands and shouting, and they were on their faces on the floor. And I'll tell you, God just visited that place in revival. The third thing that happened was after this reading of the Scripture and the understanding of the Scripture and this worship, the people's hearts just got really heavy for their sin. And they're like, God, me, and my family, our forefathers, we disobeyed you. And that's why we went over to this land, this foreign land. And God, you punished us, but God, you're so gracious and you are forgiving us and we thank you. And then there was this joy, this very palpable joy of God that flooded the congregation of Israel. And so if you're new today, I've just those five minutes were for you, okay? Because I know we, our people know all of that. They could, I could give them a pop test right now and they could give me all the dates and the names and we've been preaching this and talking about this for months now. But now we're ready. Now we're all together and we're gonna dive into chapter eight, verse 13, as the revival continues on the wings of obedience. So let me read the text to you today. Is everybody okay? Say amen. All right, just make sure you're alive and alert. You say, man, that was the most boring five minutes I've ever heard in my life. And I know it is, but you just have to indulge me as a teacher. I love to teach, and I've found that if the people of God understand the history and the context, they more appreciate the Word of God and they could apply it better to their life, okay? And to which I will say, 
Amen, Brother Danny. That is a good point. Thank you. I know y'all weren't going to say it, so I was just going to say it to myself, all right? Now, on the second day, you say, well, what in the world happened on the first day? Well, the first day, Tishri, October, revival came. I mean, Ezra read for six hours. The people worshiped God. They had brokenness over sin, and, re and revival broke out in joy. But you say, well, what happened on the second day of Tishri? Well, this is what happened. On the second day, the heads of the father's houses and of all the people with the priests and the Levites. Did you catch that? The heads of the people, the leadership, plus the pastoral leadership, the Levites and the priests, they all got together around Ezra the scribe, not around Nehemiah. Nehemiah's not a pastor. <laughs> He'll tell you, oh, no, no, I'm not a pastor. I I'm just building a wall. And, and, and as far as the preaching and, and that, I'm going to let Ezra do that because that's what he does, all right? But Nehemiah is just as faithful and loves God just as much as Ezra. But in God's economy and God's sovereignty, he has some people do some things and other people do other things, all right? So they gathered together to Ezra the scribe in order to understand the, the law some more, the words of the law. And they found written in the law, which the book of the law of God, this would be the first five books of the Old Testament, the Torah, uh, the Pentateuch. Okay, so what they had, they had scrolls and they're reading it. And they found the place where the Lord had commanded Moses these words, that the children of Israel, aha, uh -huh, must have been reading Leviticus. And Deuteronomy 16, where it says, the children of Israel should dwell in booths, little miniature tabernacles during the feast of the seventh month. And that's exactly the month that they are in. They're in Tishri. The first day of the month is the Feast of Trumpets, where they celebrate the brand new year. By the way, Tishri was always the beginning of a new year. I know it's October to us. But for them, it was a brand new year, and they were having this feast of the trumpets, and they were so excited about a new year. The 10th day of that month would be Yom Kippur, the day of atonement when the high priest would go in and he would make that sacrifice for himself and for the people of Israel, for the temple. I mean, he was just making this awesome sacrifice for the sins of the people. And you fast forward a few thousand years, Jesus Christ, he is the sacrifice of God. He shed his blood. He died for us. He arose from the dead. And all who believe in him can have forgiveness of sin. It all has its roots. It all has its origin back in Yom Kippur. And that happened on the 10th day of Tishri, the same month that they are in. Now, by the way, there's some other things that happened in Tishri. In the 15th through the 21st, they had what they called the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Feast of Tabernacles was a time where the children of Israel would get in booths. They didn't have Holiday Inn Express, my friend. They had booths. They had these little, little shanties. They had these little booths. Come on. And you said, well, surely they had, you know, it's a Coleman lantern. And they had a, you know, they had a little nice little roll-up thing, a blow-up mattress. Surely they had a blow-up. They didn't have any of that. And that's precisely the reason God wanted them to relive the days when he sent them out of bondage in Egypt and for 40 years they meandered around in the wilderness. God wanted them to remember that just as he sustained them during those days of transition, he's God today and he will sustain them even today. And that's what God wants them to do. He wants them to relive this so that they can teach their children their great faith, their great antiquities, their history, so that they would not forget. Another thing that happens... In the Feast of Tabernacles is they celebrate the harvest. They celebrate what God has given them to eat. 
So now here we are, they're reading the scroll and they're going, wait a minute. We hadn't done that, Ezra, in hundreds of years. And the Spirit of God says precisely, and you're going to do that today. And it's just going to be on like Donkey Kong. They're going to have a holy hoot nanny party. They're going to get out and say, well, let's go. Let's get out of our homes and let's just live in these booths. What do you call them? Booths and tabernacles for seven days, just like God told us. And so that they should announce. And here we go. And they're going to proclaim in all their cities and in Jerusalem. And they said, let's go. Go tell it on the mountain. Go to the mountain and bring all the olive branches and branches of all trees. And I thought, what is that? Shaman in Hebrew. What is shaman? Oil trees. Well, basically, they were going to get, it's, it's olive trees. And, and the, the trees, the branches still have the oily substance in them. And they said, go get them. Go get the olive branches, the olive trees with oil in them. Go get the myrtle branches. Go get the palm branches. And I'm telling you any other branch you can find, just go find, don't you love the Bible? Go get the branches of the leafy trees. Amen. That's everybody. That's all the, the horticulture of treeology. I know there's a word for study of trees. I just can't think of it right now. But anyhow, go get the leaves and the branches and make your booths. Watch this. As it is written. You see, God says, I told y'all to do this, but y'all quit doing this. And because you quit doing that and that and that and that and that, and you just kept disobeying me and disobeying me, then I, as a father, a benevolent, never a malevolent father, but a benevolent, gracious father, I have disciplined you and chastised you. And by the way, it's the same way today with us as family, right? If we have little kids running around like crazy, and they're disobeying every law and every rule known to man and their danger to themselves and to others, what father would go, it's okay, just do whatever you very well please. We think that's an, that's an idiotic father. Father, go get your kids and discipline them. Same way with God. He just won't let us run around crazy and hurt ourselves and hurt other people. There's a price to be paid. There's a judgment and, and God disciplined his people. But now they're back. And now they're going, what well, we got ourselves in a mess in the first place. Let's go back and find out where we left God. God never left us. It looks like we need to go get in some boots. <laughs> I love it. Go get the branches, boys. We're going to live in tents for seven days. Then the people went out and brought them and made themselves booths. Each one on the roof of his house or in their courtyards or the courts of the house of God, even in the temple square and in the open square of the water gate, and in the open square of the gate of Ephraim. So the whole assembly, are y'all with me? Is this not wild and crazy? They all went and did what Moses told them to do hundreds of years before, what Ezra said, guys, we need to get back and do what God wants us to do. And so they went out and they go out of their homes, they build these little tabernacles, these little booths, and they returned from the captivity. All those people, they bade booths and sat under them. Now, here it is. Here's the key thing I want you to get. Since the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, until that day, the children of Israel had not done this. You with me? They had disobeyed God's very clear mandates. 
God's very clear commandments. Now, we don't do this. We're not in Old Testament as far as the law. Jesus has come, fulfilled the law. Jesus has given us new commandments, by the way. One of them is, on Sunday, go to church. <laughs> That's pretty cool, ain't it? Hebrews 10, 24, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves. So get in church and worship other commandments, but anyhow, going back to the Old Testament, they had not done this. For centuries, they had not done this. Now watch this. And now there was very great, and that Hebrew word for great, I know you're just dying to know, so I'm going to tell you. It means loud, volume, prodigious. Great in volume, great in intensity, in grandeur, and with great rejoicing and gladness. They're so happy. And, and by the way, God just does that to his kids. When we obey him, he blesses us. When we disobey him, he chastises us. Well, I don't want to serve a God like that. Well, I don't, want to, I don't want an earthly father like that if they're not going to love me enough to discipline me. And the heavenly father, the holy God, this awesome father creator who loves me and, and he wants the very, very best for me. And he says, here are my commandments. Do them. Well, the children of Israel did them and they're like, whoa, man, this is fun. This is awesome. And they had great gladness. And the last text says, and day by day, from the first day until the last day. How many days is that? The 15th through the 21st of Tishri, October, Hebrew lunar calendar. He read from the book of the law of God for all those days. And they kept the feast, the feast of tabernacles, you with me? For seven days, just like Leviticus told them to. But on the eighth day, there was a solemn or sacred assembly according to the prescribed manner. And you read in Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, when they finish up the Feast of Tabernacles of those seven days, the eighth day was just this holy hush over the people of God. They were to do no work. They were to perhaps even fast. And they were just to focus squarely on the Lord. So what I want to do in my message today, I know that's a lengthy introduction, but don't get too nervous. We're not going to be here like we were last week till 1245. I know we were late and I heard about it. That's okay. It's all good. It's all good. Um, we're going to look at three just key traits of the extended revival and then try to apply them to Great Hills Baptist Church. And by the way, I love other churches. And I love other ministries, but not like I love this church. This is the one and only church for me. This is where I serve. You, you are my people. I am your shepherd for better, for worse. You say, good night. We could have done a lot better. True. <laughs> could have done a lot worse. Maybe. <laughs> but, but we are in this thing together, right? And here are the principles that I want to share my heart with you. Probably be very vulnerable and transparent with you over the next few minutes and then just ask God for an unprecedented fall of 2017, and we see what God does in our midst and through us as a church. So the, the three characteristics, number one is there's a, just a really strong yearning for God. I would also use the word desperation for God, okay? And you see it in the text. You see it every time in verses 13 through 18 where they would open the word of God 
and they would read the Holy Scriptures and they were just like, oh, let, let's read it. And, and why read it? Because we're desperate for God. I mean, we, we know what life is like without God. And now we want God, okay? The, the next characteristic is obedience. They obeyed what God wanted them to do. And the third one was this joy, this joy from God that just permeated the, the people then. And so you see what I'm leading you to do? I want us to have a yearning for God. I want us to obey God. And I want Great Hills Baptist Church, this, this radiant band of brothers and sisters, I want us to experience this palpable joy of God. And the best thing, the best possible thing that I can do for you as a teacher, as a pastor, as a leader, is to take us back through the scriptures and hopefully by the Spirit of God lead us to experience these days of revival. So the yearning is the first point. Let me talk to you just a minute about this. They are yearning for God. The Bible says in verse 3, he reads the word of God from morning until midday in eight, chapter 8, verse 3. In verse 13, the lay people and the clergy, they come together to hear the word of God. In verse 18, day by day, all seven days, they read from the book of the law of God. And I've already been preparing next week's sermon, and it says in chapter 9, verse 3, that for three hours, three hours, Ezra will come back and they will read the Bible. You say, why are they putting so much focus? Because that was their tangible way to get reconnected to God. It's the same way today. God has written a holy love letter to us. It's called the Bible. Have you ever noticed that this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book? You ever notice that? I mean, you cannot be dallying in sin and doing things you shouldn't do and be going, ooh, can't wait to read the Bible. Let me read the Bible. What is God telling me while I'm living in adultery and I'm just having all, you know, just all time over here doing this and doing that? Let's see what God says. You're probably going to open up the Bible and it's going to say, do not commit adultery. And you're going to go, oh, I'm not going to read that anymore. I'm <laughs> not going to read that anymore. Something must be wrong with that book because it's, it's offensive to me, right? But when revival comes, you go, forget the adultery, man. I blew it. I got to get back to my wife. I got to get back to my husband. What in the world was I thinking? And now you're talking. Now the Spirit of God is leading you back to the Word of God where the peace of God is found and the people of God are gathered together. So there's this yearning. There's this churning of our spirits. There is this desperation for God. Do, do you have that? Amen. Good. Amen. I do too. I, I, I want it more than anything. I want to be just so yearning for him, desperate for God. Somebody said one time, God doesn't answer prayer. He answers desperate prayer. <laughs> I don't know about the theology of that, but I kind of like it. I'm desperate for God. I don't know about you, but I am. And this nation in which we live, this world, this crazy world, and I'm desperate for God, and I want God to visit us like he did. Now, I got two biblical examples. I don't know how much time I'm going to spend on them, but let me give them to you. Very noted times when the people of God were desperate. Joshua and Caleb, they went out and spied the land and they came back and gave a very favorable report. They are saying, God is with us. We can take the land. We can do whatever God wants us to do. Just have faith and let's go. And the other 10 go, what have you been smoking, brothers? Ain't no way we're going to go in there. Have you seen them giants? You say, it didn't really say what they were smoking it. No, it didn't. I'm just adding that. But it, basically, they were like, what are you thinking? There are giants in the land. There's no way we're going into the promised land. And Joshua and Caleb are like, come on, guys. Is God not bigger than the giants? 
can God not do victories for us if we just have faith? They were desperate for God, but the majority of the people were not desperate for God, so they stayed in the wilderness for 40 years. This is one of the examples I thought of. Joshua, Caleb, yearning, let's go, let's take it. The second example I thought of was in Acts chapter 13, some desperate people. In fact, I printed the verses for you on this sheet of paper here on the Cornerstone Community Church, our church plant. They were going to commission September the 17th. They're going to do a few soft launches, and then in, uh, then in the new year, they're just going to be blowing and going. Brother Stu Smithson's going to be their pastor. They've got 29, 30 salty soldiers for Jesus, and I love these men and women, and we're sending them out to go and reach and teach and preach, and there their names are. I don't know if you knew your names are going to be printed today, but your name is printed today. And if your name is on this list, it means we prayed and sought the face of God and we felt like you were the people to go and, 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 and get a beachhead up there in the Leander area and start preaching the Word of God. And we're going to support you and believe in you just like the church did in Acts chapter 13. I know some of y'all are looking at this going, John and Karen, what, what about the Gumpels, my word, Haley Hughes, uh, uh, what, 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 what are you doing? That lady was just leading a worship service a moment ago. Jenna's not going, she's staying. That's what I said. And the Spirit of God said, I'm trumping you, buddy. <laughs> I've called her, she's going. And this is so exciting to me because just like they were just yearning for God. They wanted to see God and hear God. And the church there in Antioch said, well, the Holy Spirit said, separate unto me Barnabas and Saul. Do y'all know who Saul is? Come now, he's Paul. We're going to kick Paul out of the church and let him go plant a church. And I'm thinking, good night. What is going on here? And, I, and so what I'm thinking is I'm, I'm leading up to the fall when we do all of this. But if we're yearning for God and we're in the Word of God and we're here in the Spirit of God and, and God loves us and He loves His church, then our responsibility of Great Hills Baptist Church is go. Go in Jesus' name and may God bless you and we support you and we believe in you. Yearning, desperate for God. And the second one, the second thing is obedience to God. Obedience to God. This is all throughout this passage of Scripture. They, verse 14, they, they obeyed God when they saw this radical thing of walking around and living in booths, you know. I don't know why I like saying that, but I just like saying it. Booths, tabernacles, little teepees, if you will. Leviticus 23, 42 through 43 says, do this. Deuteronomy 16, 13 through 15 says, do this with joy. They had not done this for hundreds of years, and now God says, it's time to do this again. And, and verse 16 says, and then they went. Did y'all see that in verse 16? They did it. They obeyed God and gathered in booths. Some of you study your Bibles really hard, and I, I want you to know I do too. And when I said they had not done this in hundreds of years, there, there's something I need to explain. There are two facets of the Feast of Tabernacles. The first one is celebrate the harvest, right? We talked about that a few minutes ago. The second component of the feast is to live in the booths. Well, Israel had done the first, and you can check it. Solomon, some of the other kings, they had announced the Feast of Tabernacles, and they celebrated the 15th through the 21st. They would celebrate the ingathering of the harvest, but they didn't get in the booths, you see. 
And that's where these radical, obedient Israelites are going, let's go back to the booths. I know it's kind of uncomfortable. I know it's going to look kind of weird. The surrounding nations are going to look at us and say, have you lost your ever-loving mind? What are y'all doing? Get back in your house, you bunch of crazy Israelites. Don't you know that's what people thought? Listen, whenever the people of God step out on faith and trust God, a looking world will not understand it. They will not understand it at all. Worshiping a dead guy on a stick and you claim you rose from the dead. What have y'all people been smoking? What? Everybody's going to heaven if they believe on him. Everybody's going to hell if they don't believe on him. You've lost your mind. Your whole mind is shot. And the Bible says, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, that when I preach this gospel, that when the word of God is preached and we talk about a crucified Christ on a, on a, on a cross, he rises from the dead. The world says that's moronic. That's the Greek word for moron. That's just stupid. Who believes that? My, especially in postmodern, culturally relevant Austin, Texas. People don't believe that, brother. I believe it all. I believe that Jesus died. He arose from the dead. He's the son of God. I believe it all. And I know it's radical. And, and, but whenever the people of God obey God, it's radical to a watching world. But to the people of God, it's just normal. This is what you do. You worship Jesus. Israelites, you get in booths. <laughs> Tell your kids why you're in the booth. Dad, why are we in this? I mean, we look stupid. Dad, my buddy's over the way there. They think I've lost my mind. Dad, help me. Well, son, you know, for 40 years, you know, we disobeyed God. We should have gone on into the land. But God in his grace, he's so kind to us. We were, we were sojourners, son. We, we were pilgrims passing through. But God led us with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He's such a good God. And son, we're doing this because we're remembering the goodness of God and we're trusting God for what he has next for his people. You see, it's teachable, teachable moment. This obedience to God. Oh, goodness, I... I know, I know what I'm about to say. It's, it's hard, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. Prompt, radical obedience always draws the favor of heaven. But delayed, bitter, complaining, disobedience, God always gives his judgment. General Robert E. Lee, he, he made a passing statement one day. And the word got to General Stonewall Jackson. I love his biography, by the way. If you get a chance, read Virginia Tech's professor, Dr. Robertson's biography. I'm doing this because it's yay thick. It weighs more than I do. It's huge. But read it. It's so good. Robert E. Lee said, hey, guys, next time you see Stonewall, tell him the next time he's in the area of the camp where I am, would you just, just let him know at his convenience, I, I'd like to see him. I'd like to talk to him. Late at night, Stonewall Jackson is in his tent. And they said, uh, oh, sir, we've we got to tell you that uh, the general said, just next time you have the opportunity and you're, you're near his camp, he'd like to see you. Stonewall Jackson got up, 
got dressed, walked out of his tent. It was snowing. It was freezing mile upon mile upon mile, and he walks into the tent of Robert E. Lee, and Robert E. Lee's just eating his breakfast. And he looks up and he goes, he said, General Jackson, have you lost your mind? What are you doing here? He said, sir, your wish is my command. Your wish is my duty. It's my command. And I thought, oh, to God, that we would do that, church. And God would just whisper and say, would you be so kind to do this? We'd say, yes, Lord, we'll do it. Yes, we'll plant a church, God. Yes, we'll have revival, God. Yes, we'll do anything you want us to do, God. You don't have to, you don't have to beg us, God. Come on. You don't have to beg us, God, to do your will. We'll gladly do your will. And this is what's happening in our text. And oh, I'm praying in Jesus' name that it would happen in our church. Obedience brings the blessing and the favor of God, while disobedience brings chastisement. The last thing I want to share with you is the joy part, and I love verses 17 and 18. It's just this third characteristic. Verse 17, there was very great gladness, intense, loud joy, just erupted among the people. Because the people said, let's go back and see where we missed God and let's obey God. By the way, do some of y'all need to do that? I'm just, just curious, just asking. Has God made it really clear to you dads and you husbands that you're to be the spiritual leader of your home and you're to be a man of integrity and walk with God and you're not doing that anymore and your life is falling apart and your family's falling apart? Could it be that God's just saying, come back, do what I ask you to do and I will bless you and I will give you joy? A true story, Chuck Swindoll tells a story in his book. He says uh, in, in the book, Hand Me Another Brick, it's a commentary on the book of Nehemiah. It's dated, but it's amazing. You know, Pastor James, some of these books are just amazing. You know, they're dated. It's like this book's dated. Woohoo, it's dated, but praise God, it's alive. Well, anyhow, he said, I was preaching at a conference and there was this family, a whole family came to this family conference. Husband, wife, kids, and man, they came and they weren't happy. And their marriage was about to fall apart. The kids were just running wild. And I thought, oh, my word, God, give that poor family a miracle because they need it. And he said, I watched day after day as I preached. I watched them just kind of, uh, something happened to them. And it began with the dad. And the dad began to repent. The dad began to get right with God. And the dad began to say, I'm sorry to his wife and to his kids. And at the last day of the conference, the whole family came up to him and says, oh, pastor, you just don't realize what happened. When we came here, we were about to get divorced. We didn't know what was going to happen. The kids didn't really care. We're, so, we're just all messed up as a family. But we heard the teaching of God's word and we all repented and we've given our life to God. And man, thank you. You've saved our family. Now the family sat right over here. Ryan and Ann, I'm another family. Y'all are not this family, but they're sitting over here. And the dad's like this. Oh, my word, my word, my word, my word, my word. Are you finished? <laughs> are you finished? Pastor, hurry. I got golf, brother, golf games waiting. And Chuck Swindoll was looking at him going, this don't look good. About a day in the conference, the, the guy just left. <laughs> the dad just says, I've had enough of this. He left. Well, guess what happened to that family? They didn't make it. No, they didn't make it. Divorced. Kids not knowing, who, this weekend am I with you? Am I, am I with her? I'm just devastated. And that dad, 
I know this sounds hard, but don't, don't judge me. Just listen to me. Obedience brings the blessing of God. Disobedience brings the disfavor of God. It's just the way it is. Ride on the highway. Go 95 in a 45 mile an hour, and you will find out that disobedience brings rough times. Go to jail, boy, you're going too fast. You say, but that's the law of man. Then how much more are we to obey the law of God? Don't commit adultery. Don't be steeped in pornography. Don't brush your kids off. Don't neglect to give your tithes and your offerings. These are just the basic axioms of faith. Well, do it. I told our staff the other day, we, we were having a meeting and we, we were getting a little nervous. <laughs> we're like, Brother Danny, well, well, what? what if a lot of people go to the new church plant? And I said, we're doomed. <laughs> no, 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 we're serious. Half of my missions committee is going. Worship ministry is going. The Bible Life Connect Group teachers are going. Whoa, 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 whoa. And I made this statement. I don't have many original thoughts, but let me just give you this. What I gave them, God will not owe us anything. God's not going to be in debt to me. God tells me to do something, I do it. God's going to say, whoop, shouldn't have done that. No. Do I know how this thing's going to turn out? Absolutely not. I do know that those 10 families give a chunk of money to Great Hills Baptist Church, and we're going to do without that. And we're going to send them up there. We need every... Guys, can I just tell something, just let you on a little secret? We need every hand on deck in our church at this time, okay? If you're wrinkled and you're mad and you're upset, please get over it and stay with us because we are in a very interesting time. For us to make it over the next three years financially will be miracle upon miracle from God, okay? You say, well, you're not a very good CEO. That's the problem. You're sending people out, and we ought to keep everybody in here that we can. And that makes sense to the mind of man and business and corporation, but I'm not a CEO. I'm a preacher of the Word of God. God said, plant a church. I'm going to plant a church. We're going to send them out. He said, well, you just might not make it. Then I don't make it. I don't have to make it. I just have to be obedient. No, really, I'm serious. Man, I was weeping coming to church today. You said, well, what else is new? You cry all the time, you big baby. Man, I'm just driving down the highway, and I'm just crying my eyes out, and I'm going, God, what's going on? I mean, I'm, I'm in, but what if this thing goes south? And God says, so what? <laughs> So what if it does? Again, you told me this a hundred times. So what? It's God's church. It's, you are God's people. Listen, I am not married to you. I'm married to Ashley. You're married to Jesus, okay? Just let y'all in on that. You're his bride. She's my bride. I'm going to try to do everything I can to have a good relationship with her and a solid marriage so that we're honoring God and, and giving you a good example. But I'm telling this church plant thing, y'all, it's on. And I'm just excited, beyond excited about it, because I believe God brought us to, and God brought us these precious people. Doug, we, we love you guys. I'm, I'm serious. Janet, 
good night, Chad. Shoot, God, is there any other way? I mean, I can think of a few people, God, you can take, don't take them. <laughs> I'm almost done. Let me, let me tell you, I did this one other time in my life and in my ministry, and I'll tell you what happened. And I don't know that this will happen again. It, it may. Another state, another city, another church. We brought them up. There were 60 of them. We sent them out. We sent stew with them. Another stew. That's interesting, isn't it? Very gifted like this stew. You say, well, how'd that work out for y'all, Brother Danny? <clears throat> well, the mama church is running 4,000, 5,000, something like that. The church plants well over 2,000 in multiple locations. So it turned out pretty good for us, for them then. Is God going to do that here? <laughs> It'd be a miracle. A miracle from heaven above. That Great Hills is strong and sustaining. We birth these people. God brings us more people. And I want to, I want to close with this. Ooh, this is good. This is a good, good word. When they leave, some of y'all got to step up. <laughs> you got to say, okay, it's time for me. Honey, we got to get off the bench. Our booties are warmed on the bench. We got to get off the bench and get in the game, honey. My church, they need us. I need to start teaching, man. We need to start giving and we need to start helping in the worship ministry. And I'm just praying, oh God, listen, this either happens or I don't, I don't make it. You either rise up and say, I'm, I'm going to take up the slack, brother. Don't worry about it. Or we struggle. We just keep struggling, struggling. And by the way, guys, there's coming a day in three years, there ain't going to be no financial struggle. It's going to be a, a fat, rich, happy church. I'm just, I'm just telling you like it is. But let me ask you, can you hang in here with us now? You know what I'm going to say. You know what I'm going to say. Can you hang with us now? There are them seven scrawny cows of Joseph's dream. You say, how fat and happy are we going to be? It's going to be fat and happy. Like $2 million cash and no more $57,000 a month, no more debt. So what are y'all gonna do with that money? We're gonna plant, we'll plant more churches. We're gonna take the gospel to the nations of the world. Man, whew, I'm done. Y'all done? How would you like to preach that sermon? Come on, sometimes things aren't easy. As we wrap up, I wonder what God is telling you today. Maybe you're here today and you're that, you're that dad. You're sitting over there going. And you need to be on your knees before God, repenting of your sins and let your wife go, wow, I got a new man. Or maybe some of you just need to come to the altar and say, God, my church needs me. And I'm, I'm stepping up. That church plant needs my prayers, oh God. And, and by the way, as we give here and as we're doing good here, we're able to bless them, okay? Maybe you're here today and you just say, I need the Lord in my life. And I just ask Jesus Christ to be my King and be my Savior. Come. She where are you going? I'm, I'm standing right here. We're going to have pastors and counselors up here at the altar. Come, let us pray with you. Let us encourage you. 
This is exciting, scary, (laughs) but it's exciting. Jesus, you're awesome. I pray that I've said everything that you've asked me to say. Lord, let the people hear what, what you want them to hear. And may we, God, in a moment when we stand to our feet and have this invitation, Lord, may there be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God. May that palpable joy that was theirs, God, may it be ours. May there be obedience. May it all be preceded with a deep yearning for God and the Word of God. Lord, we just pray as we stand that we would just do business with you and just, just ask your great blessings upon our church. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you all stand with us, please? We're going to sing. We'll do business with God at this holy time, and then we'll carry on. God bless you as you come.